Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome this week's guest, Tanya Cheeseman. Tanya, how are you? I'm really good, thanks Ian. Good. I always enjoy <laughs> our chats. Good to do it in, uh, in this setting to share more of your journey. Yeah. Before we For get sure. to some of the different things you've experienced in life, I know yeah. you, you have been on quite a journey yourself and you've overcome so many different things and now you're helping other women to do the same. So tell us a little bit about that and why it means so much to you to, to be able to offer that service. Mm. So definitely connects, all of it connects definitely to my journey and my experiences. Um particularly in the last 10 to 12 years. And uh, what I have discovered is a real uh, gap um, or disconnect with mind, body and heart. Um, and that's certainly what I was feeling, that yeah. um, I was kind of out of my body a lot, um, really stuck in my head and my thoughts. And, and when I was doing that, I wasn't looking after my physical health uh, and... So I started down a pathway of a bit more of spiritual growth and just being a bit more aware or actually not a bit, a lot more aware of my daily practice, what I do on a daily basis, creating daily habits, um, getting a bit more masterful and mindful about that stuff and what I do. And then when I, you know, started thinking about that and started changing a few things about the way I was operating, um, particularly friends started noticing a change in me and then they were interested what are you doing and it um and I was getting a lot of questions and so um and it was even down to simple things like what what did I start my day with what was my daily protocol and simple things like um I'd start my day with you know lemon in hot water or something like that but by doing that it would set the tone for the day and uh so it, it yeah it really just um mm, but as I was becoming more aware of the need for me to do that as a as discipline and commitment to self, I also realised that a lot of other women were not doing that as well. Uh, mm. And so that's kind of where I've got to, is how can I show other people to make small changes on a daily basis to become more in tune with who they are and, you know, create uh, steps going forward to where it is they'd rather be. Yeah. yeah, love it. It's really interesting yeah. you talk about those daily protocols because that's been showing up a lot for me. It's like me realising I need to go back and tweak my morning routine yeah. and I was hearing one of the football coaches talking about win the morning, win the day and I'm like, I'm like oh, yeah, actually I could be doing a better job of this and it's so simple mm. but when we mm. allow ourselves to drift away from doing it, it, it really can take us off course. And I love how you said that, that they've noticed that difference and a lot of it is just the simple daily practices, but importantly, practiced every day, yeah? 100%. And look, I'm by no means perfect, and I don't expect I ever will be. Um, so I, I definitely have to remind myself. And I, you know, for instance, we've just, it's just been, been a long weekend, a bit out of routine, waking up in a different bed, different house. I got a little bit out of, out of my normal routine. And, um, you know, I came out of the back of it feeling a lot more tired than normal. Um, I've got a little bit of a cold. So what I find is as soon as I uh, um, go off track, I, you know, I notice things quickly, but I also find that my immunity, immune system goes down a bit, my energy goes down a bit. So 
it's just it's just, for me now it's noticing and just going okay right you've got to pick it up again you can't I don't think a break's bad for anyone but you know when we go for too long without 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 the discipline of of what we know works for us you know it's yeah it gets a bit rocky <laughs> yeah yeah and and you just talked about there how it shows up for you and so I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear more about so the women, women that you're helping what is showing up for them like what sort of things are they going through? What are they experiencing that, that are making them realise, oh, actually, I need to change? Because I'm sure they don't have the awareness at that point to know that they've got that mind-body-heart uh, disconnect. Yeah, that, that, and that even the small things can make the difference. Um, the main thing they're experiencing is overwhelm. So it's it's like, you know, it's like being the juggler with all the balls in the air at once and having really high expectations that that can continue happening and that we not can can not only get them in the air but keep them in the air and it's it's just not possible it's it's a ridiculous expectation that we put on ourselves and i'm only speaking from a, a female point of view being a mother and a partner and a person that's been in a career um so overwhelm at you know the realization that you think that, that we get to that it's not possible to keep doing all of that stuff and also maintain healthy mind body um, soul, heart, you, you you just can't do it, it's not possible. So overwhelm comes with feeling tired, sluggish, you know, your metabolism might be down. Um, a lot of women, you know, at the age that I'm, I'm looking at and well, where they are in their life are probably hitting things like menopause or, you know, extra commitments with elderly parents or teenage children. So there's a lot of, you know, feeling tired, um, overworked, and then I guess at some point is also the realisation that maybe all of those things, are, whilst they are commitments and things that we sign up for, might not be all the things that make us actually feel fulfilled and happy. So yeah. you know, we love our families, we love our kids, we might love our job if we're lucky, but at the end of the day, then those are not the things that are going to make us feel connected to ourselves. Uh, so that's... That, that's where I'm going with this and that's what the journey I've been on is how do I love all of those things? How do I not make them the most important thing in my life? How do I turn that around and make me the most important thing but also incorporate all of those other areas? Yeah. So, yeah. And I know you've come a long way in that space <laughs> over the last six months and, and, and that's noticeable. I know you've said people have... I've definitely noticed that as well. So that's awesome. And just from my own experience, family, friends, clients, what I see out there is that what you just described then is happening for mm. so many women, particularly yeah. young, yeah. trying to be everything to everyone and, and just exhausted. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing that sneaks up for women, I, and again, I can only speak for women, so I'm not going to say men don't experience this as well, yeah. is that um, gradually over time, and I've certainly experienced this, well, had a realisation about this recently, is that with all of this trying to juggle, I've also become really good at being a control freak, but not in a really obvious way. So, you know, I want, I want to line everything up. I want it to all be good. I want everyone to be happy. I want um, the days to go smoothly. But in that, I've I found that I tightened everything up so much that I was actually not even... I wasn't just doing the things I could physically do. I was trying to control everything around me. I was, it was like orchestrating everything and and didn't realise until recently that that was another thing that was exhausting me and that my perception of control <laughs> was really misconstrued. Like um, the tighter I want to control something, the more the, the person or the event or the whatever it is, tries to fight back because it doesn't want to be controlled. So it was like a it was like a fight. I was never gonna win. Um, <laughs> and and I've been experimenting lately with that as just like when I decide it feels safe and it feels okay, nothing's gonna go wrong if I just let go a bit. Just watching what happens around me, like it's like the natural order of things falls into place and I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, and I really, really wouldn't. I haven't had a chance to, to speak to a lot of women about that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a big, 
a big part of, of playing this role, that, you know. Massively. And as a recovering control freak myself, I can recognise <laughs> a lot of those things that you just mentioned then, right? Yeah. Is, and yeah. it's like the harder you try, it's like trying to turn back the tide with a mop, right? It's the harder you try, the, the, the less effective you become. And yeah. it's amazing how often we just, when the moment we go, I'm not doing this anymore, that everything suddenly turns around. We remove that resistance. Um, we're funny creatures, aren't we, humans? I know we are. And what you just said then is brilliant. I, um, there's a poem um, and that I re, was reintroduced to a, a couple of days ago called She Let It Go and or she let go and it's it's beautiful but um it's about it's about when you do it it doesn't have to be a big announcement you don't you know you have to go right everybody you're on your own now you know you you don't have to yell i've i've had enough i'm packing my bags i'm gone it's just about it's just a self-acceptance of just a release and just sitting in peace and saying i don't need to do this you know and yeah, it doesn't have to be an announcement. It it can just be like this organic thing. And and probably to the point where, especially the people who you're closest to, family or whatever, partners, um, can't even pinpoint what has changed. Yeah, wow. Like, it, it, it's just like this, this thing that happens and everyone's kind of like, because the energy changes, right, when, you, when this happens. But yeah. no one would be going, oh, Shit! Something major just occurred because <laughs> there was no one said anything. I didn't. I didn't say right. You're off the hook now. Um, <laughs> we're taking the reins off, and you're you're on your own. Um, but I have noticed subtle changes. But yeah, I think yeah, it's very interesting. It is the first thing that comes to mind is at first it feels like your whole world's caving in because suddenly the people in your world who are used to you controlling are having. Mm not having mm. – they were able to do things on their own and then they were able to discover different things that they needed addressing. So it's almost like everything – you get a flood of everything coming at once, right? right? Yeah. And then part of you is like, maybe I need to jump back in and control this – control ourselves <laughs> out of here, right? But it's being able to hold our nerve through that, which is which is the key. Yeah. And I know you've experienced this yourself. So tell us a little bit how – so letting go of control is one thing, but then how mm. do we actually navigate – some of the challenges that pop up as we as we go through that journey. Yeah, that's been um, yeah. I've spent a bit of time trying to define what that is. I think, and of course, in my head a little bit. But so <clears throat> letting go of control is also letting go of boundaries and routines and responsibility. And I've been trying to look at trying to navigate through the fine line that that is especially as a parent. So, you know, our kids, especially teenagers, are yearning for independence. They, they want to get out there, but they still need us. They, yeah. you know, they need us for all sorts of things. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of been like, well, how much free reign do I give before I really need to say, well, well actually I am the parent and uh, you can't do that? Um, so a lot of it for me has just been it, it's trial and error, like. And I think the thing is that I'm willing to learn, and I don't. I'm not. I'm no longer scared of making mistakes, um, which ironically is as a primary school teacher, I was always encouraging children just to have a go, have a go, have a go, have it. What's the worst thing can happen? You can get it wrong, um, and then you try it again, or you you don't get it wrong. You just it doesn't suit. It, it just doesn't work, or you know. Yeah, and you just try again. So that's where I've been at every single day. Like I, I do not, I don't sit in my laurels and go, "Oh yeah, now life's perfect," you know, because yeah. I know every day is going to have a challenge, uh, and I don't enjoy all of them. I, don't, I really don't. <laughs> we're we're talking about this. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about this before we jumped on, right? It's like, yeah. But first, when you start changing things, and then something works, you're like, oh. I've got life sorted. It's all good. And it's yeah. that moment when you walk yeah. around the corner metaphorically and all hell breaks loose. So I love how you've described that because it's exactly what it's like. It's like don't 
do whatever you need to do for yourself so that you can make everything blissful all the time because that's not how it works. Yeah. It's just continuing to move forward and go, well, okay, well, what's the next thing? And because when you come from that perspective, then you get so much better at dealing with it in a calm way. And yeah. that's where that level of fulfillment that, that can only come when we're growing like that. 100%. And, you know, what I, I love, um, like Abraham Hicks, I always, I well, I often go back to um, her description of life as showing us contrast and the contrast meaning the things that make us feel uncomfortable. But the whole growth in the journey is about how we navigate through that, how smoothly can we navigate through that. And it's it's about our reactions and what we're willing to take on board and we're willing to own. And for me, it's been, because I'm so aware of that stuff now, it's my duty to do that. I can't just go, oh, well, that was shit. That made me feel bad. I'm just going to bury that down and pretend, eat a donut or, or a bottle of wine and pretend it didn't happen. I can't do that anymore because I know that there's nothing bad that's going to happen by addressing it. I, that there's, you know, the lion's not going to be released from the cage and, you know, it's it's all going to be okay. And it's and I guess this comes from from me now working as a healer as well as a coach and a whatever is I have to do that work. I, yeah. It's my obligation. But yeah. I love that I now know that there's nothing that scary in it. That it's safe to do it. That letting it out, nothing. There's nothing bad's going to happen. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. It, it's usually that stuff is received with love and, and that's what comes back. Mm. And, yeah. and what I'm drawn to there is whether you're someone who's guiding other people from a professional standpoint or just yeah. as a parent or as a partner coming mm. from that same position, right? It's like, I know I have to do this for the betterment of myself and, and for those important relationships. And when we come yeah. from that angle, it's so much easier to find the discipline and the and the strength to be able to navigate whatever is thrown at us. Yeah, and it hundred percent, and and also it also brings us to a, to a much um, lovely lovelier place of calm. So you know, the me six months ago was you know uh, picking picking looking for the things that were wrong. Um, not, you know, yeah, not recognising that those are things I also possess, not wanting to own that. And it doesn't mean to say that I think anyone around me is perfect either, but I just, I've just switched from looking at the negative stuff all the time and, you know, thinking that how that impacted me all the time rather than going, well, if I just change my outlook accept those things, work on those, and it actually encourages not only calm in me but in everyone else. And I think they're still, I think they <laughs> are still a bit shell-shocked with the change. It's like they'll walk around, like I'll get a question and I'll just say I'll give an answer. There'll be this look of, oh, my God, that's not what I expected. But they're getting used to it. <laughs> you know? They do. They get used to it quickly yeah. and they enjoy it and, yeah. You, might even, you might even get some praise from your children, which is outrageous, but it's possible. I did get that. I did get that the other day. I had um, my 16-year-old said to me, Mum, you do know that when I have children one day, I'm going to be ringing you all the time because there's so much I'm not going to know what to do and I'll need your help. Wow. And, you know, that was that was a real, that is a compliment. Yeah, massive. That is a compliment. Yep. For sure. So good. Yeah. Um, and being that role model is important. And and at the moment, I'm going through this with my 18 year old. Now, my mum would always say, if you need picking up, no matter where you are, what time, like mm. you call, and mm. just passing on that same message. It's a simple thing, but I know how beneficial that was to me and sometimes my friends, where they would be literally going, "Call your mum." If you know you can't get a cab or whatever, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> You know, when, when you're watching your, your uh, children then go out and, and you're letting go and then letting them have that space, you still, yeah. like you mentioned before, you still want to be a parent and give yeah. them whatever you can to, to help them with their choices, right? Yes, for sure. Awesome. So 
you don't just go from being a teacher and then deciding, oh, I'm going to shift my careers without going through challenges, right? Mm. So in no particular order, what what was some of those moments? Or maybe one of them you can pinpoint as being more impactful than the others that, that really stopped you in your tracks and changed how you saw the world. Some of it crept up up on me over time. I think my a biggie a biggie for me was uh, I guess it's maybe twelve years ago when I separated from the father of my children, um, and I was at the time I was doing some teach. They were little. I'd gone back to teaching. We'd just moved back from England. Um, oh, maybe two years prior, and. It really, I guess, I guess what it did was really change my perspective on what I could count on myself to do um, and what I could trust myself to do. Um, I won't go into the juicy details of the whole scenario, but um, it, it, was a, it was a time when I, um, oh, and I'd also started a business then. So I, I dabbled in starting business from home and, kids were little and whatever, and I, I I, just knew something in me, I just knew I needed to move. I needed to move out. I needed to get out. I needed to change location, everything, and uh, found something in me that I didn't know I had. And I, I think I, I, I like to think that I've always been a bit spiritual in touch with my intuition, but I was just asking for things to have to fall into place and they were. It was just I was getting signs left, right and centre that it wasn't a bad choice, that um, everything went smoothly. And uh, I guess I guess then that was my first um, real conscious experience of being a wife, a mother. A, I was teaching. I was, you know, doing all these things and going, oh, my God, I'm like I've got all these roles to play. And where do, where do I really sit with that and what, what, where would I really like to see myself um, when all the mess is cleared? It was, it was literally like a bomb had gone off and it took about six months to get back into a place of feeling, you know, centred again, basically. Mm. Um, and another thing, quite a poignant thing that happened at that time was um, I've always placed a lot of importance on my relationship with my family, my parents. And I remember at that time I had, I was dreading it. I was 40 years old and I had to go and have lunch with my mum and dad and make an announcement. Um, and I just, I started with an apology and I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I've, I've got to tell you that this, this marriage can't, can't go on. And my mother just, I think she grabbed me by the wrist no, not aggressively, but kind of. She grabbed me by the wrist and she put her other finger up. She said, don't you ever apologise for for what you need to do, what you feel you need to do. That's and awesome. um, it was a really emotional moment for all three of us. I think Dad was struggling from a male point of view because he was being empathic towards my ex and he was, he was feeling what he must be feeling. And yeah. then I didn't expect that from Mum, but Mum, she just, it was like she completely understood and from that moment I was just thought oh my god I've it was a bit like I got approval but it was more that absolute display of unconditional love that it didn't matter that I, that, that what that's what was happening and it's not like I was mollycoddled after that they didn't come to my rescue at all like it was my journey but I knew they were always there and she yeah really that was a good lesson for me as a mother at that yeah, point what a powerful statement. And it's not the first time someone on this podcast has relayed some words of wisdom from their mother at a time when they were going through the most difficult times. It's, is that hardwired, do you think? Is, is it a hardwired um, maternal instinct to, to say exactly what is needed? I think so. I think so. I, I've, it must be. It, it just must be because... I know now, especially with teenagers, that, I mean, they can do things that really piss me off or that I don't approve of or whatever, but I'll ne it doesn't stop my love for them. I, it doesn't, you know, 
I'll, I'll never I'll never judge them or question their choices. If they come to me and ask for advice or an opinion, or if, sometimes they won't, sometimes I might just give it, but it doesn't cut that tie. It, it, yeah. it just can't. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do imagine how, you know, there are a lot of people that have experienced some real trauma and heartache, and I do wonder how that works for them mm. in that. You, you mentioned their unconditional love from parents. I know yeah. from my own experience and helping other people with this very same subject is one of the places that that love can be quite conditional, almost transactional, is in our close relationships. So as you've come through a divorce, like is that something that you were aware of? Is it something that played out afterwards? Was it Was it part of you then realizing that your own relationship yourself needed improving like like that that concept of unconditional love how did it play out through the whole thing getting separated and divorced oh that that came to me quite a few years later okay because i just i really got busy at the time yeah. um with um mainly with my kids and and working and um you know when they're little they're really all consuming and yeah. They're very delightful and so it was kind of like, I mean, what I, I guess it just all happened as it needed to, but it, was, it wasn't until maybe 2016, so maybe six years ago, that I started going down some pretty heavy-duty lines of uh, personal development course stuff where I got shown for the first time through process and experience that every single person that comes in front of me is reflecting me in in their way and that that um that is my responsibility to own the things that I'm not attracted to as well as the things that I am that that I can't you know if I love someone for something the classic here's the classic right so when you when you're parenting a child and maybe you've had an argument the parents have had an argument or whatever and oh she's just like you you know She's, yeah. She just takes after you, but it's usually meant in quite a negative sense. <laughs> yeah. right? Your attributes at that moment in time are what they're seeing in the child and they're saying, and, and vice versa, and we all do it. We all, yeah. I guess that's why we are connected to our kids because, you know, that unconditional love, because we, we're we drawn to every aspect of them, the positive and the negative. Yeah, 100%. And they, they take so much from what our own behaviour rather than what we tell them. So they also yeah. mirror mirror back to us all of our uh, perceived failings and insecurities as well. <laughs> you, can't get, you can't get away with any of that at no, all. Not no. at all. Um, I'm drawn to and one. I, in yeah. Oh, sorry, say, yeah. I was going to say I was drawn to one in particular when I was playing uh, Barbie in the, in the doll's house with my daughter and – she said, oh, Barbie's going to have a party. And I went, okay, cool. She goes, we better get the beer because, of course, Barbie has beer. Barbie has freaking everything. <laughs> we better get the beer, Dad, because you can't have a party without beer. And oh, that was one of those moments of like, oh, wow, like she's three and she's Yeah, she already knows gone. that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, she's right, but <laughs> no, no, you know what I mean? Like it's like it's yeah. not necessarily what you want to hear from your mouth of your three-year-old. One of mine said a similar thing and said, why do you, why is it you always hear mum say, Oh, I need a wine? <laughs> I thought, oh, I really hope I've never said that. Or I I mean I'm maybe I have. I, I do make a point of not saying that stuff, but but they do. They pick up on that stuff. They do. We we joke, we joke, but it's just those those two examples just shine a lot on how influential yeah. influential we are. And not just from a young age, like this, they're forever watching as they go through their next level of growth about how we're dealing with things, how we're behaving. So it's never too late. Like I remember learning, you know, you hear about, oh, those first six years of, of our children's life are just so important and they're like sponges and, and so much of their behavior is is then set for their life and then going, oh, my God, like I can't roll that back now. Like what, I've, I've broken my children. And then later learning that, yeah, there's there's an element of truth to that, but all behaviours can be changed. And it's also like they'll be able to overcome those whatever challenges they experience through that and similar to the journey we're both on is then be able to be a guiding light for others. The important thing is to be able to show them how to come out the other side 
by yep. doing it ourselves more than trying to control them into taking yep. the path we think they should take, yeah? Yeah, and it's not it's not just our responsibility. It's like it's that it takes a village to raise a child. So, you know, if at some point you're not capable of giving the child what they need, they are definitely going to be getting it from somewhere else, whether it's their mum, a family friend, another relative, a, an older sibling. They're, we're never without our lessons. We're never without what it is we need in any given moment. And that was that's another thing that I've... The comfort of knowing that also lets us off the hook, you know. In a yeah. way, it's like, no, I, I don't have to be there every minute. I don't have to have every answer. I don't have to have every solution. Um, other people can do that. That's why we're all here, to, <laughs> to contribute, right? Yeah, well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. You mentioned there something that I know to be true of grief, and that is... You went through the the separation, uh, but then you got busy with life, and yeah. so often that happens to people that have this major event in their life, mm. and they may have a realization or not. They may have a desire to change for things to be better, whatever it is. But then we don't necessarily know what to do with it next, and then there's this moment of drifting. For me, it was about six years of like, well, yeah. I want change. I don't know how. But then what I know is then there's usually another moment that inspires that change. So you said you got into learning more about personal growth, but was there a moment? And if so, what what played out that had you going, actually, I, I need to take more affirmative action here? Affirmative action as, as, as far as um... – kind of more of the path that I'm on right now, you mean? Yeah, so so was there like a, another setback moment that had you going, oh, okay. This like so for me example, for example, uh, we yeah. like it was like the uh the uh global financial crisis hits and I'm hearing about people not being able to retire because their their like yeah. investments have crashed and and like our superannuation here in Australia it's like what? That that can't be. Like you can't be just at the mercy of external yeah. factors. So I was yeah. like, okay, that, that that for me, that was my motivation to go, okay, I need to actually get on with things here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I had, a, I had a few things happen before that whole event, but afterwards it was just, and I feel like everything played out. Now I look back on it, it doesn't seem as messy as it felt like at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I... Um, it's just it's just triggered in me that I actually got um, I actually got sent on a different pathway without really um, being aware that that was happening. I went on a tangent in my career, and um, so I was I was teaching, and somehow I got drawn to um, working with a friend who was working in a behaviour centre, and so she worked with children with uh, who had a lot of trauma and grief in their background, um, and so I basically went from kind of the cushy Adelaide Eastern suburbs, um, easy. It, it, it was never hard for me being a teacher. It's It's been because it's something I'm good at. So I found myself in these centres and seeing actual real trauma as opposed to, I mean, at that point and still now I don't think my kids have really ever um, experienced. Um, and I wasn't sure why I got pushed down that path, but... Um, I went with it. It, it felt right, I, and I was learn, I was on a steep learning curve. Um, but where it, where it got me was, um, and not where I had planned to be, I might add. But um, I was recognised as working quite well with these kids and having a, a real compassionate approach to um, helping them find the best part of themselves, and and not just concentrating on all of the so-called disabilities or learning difficulties or whatever. Um, and then not only that, and this is the interesting part, is that I started connecting a lot with the female role model in their family. And so, yeah, um, so it would either be the mum, an older sister, a grandmother, whoever was the main, I guess, female mentor or person giving the care were the ones that I connected with. And then I was really interested in working Working with them with, I mean, you know, there was some messy stuff that I experienced, you know, as far as trauma was concerned. Uh, and then I think I was able to relate that to 
some of my experiences and probably was as a form of therapy for me to you know work that work that through my own system which I, I had to do every day because every day was a new day and sometimes really full-on working with these kids um what did you learn about what did you learn about yourself through that process from helping them with these traumatic events and also that connection to the the female uh, role model that our experiences don't um I guess our experiences don't make us who we are. They they mould us in a certain way, but the essential part of who we are is always the same. And that everyone, no matter what, no matter what their environment is or the people they have around them, is that everyone is actually really seeking the same thing, which yeah. is everyone is everyone just wants to be held, loved, supported. They want to feel valued. Um, no one really likes to have chaos. I mean, you know, it's it happens for many, many, many reasons. Um, so I think I recognise, I definitely recognise that in me uh, and, yeah, that once I paired all, all of that stuff back, that that's all I really wanted as well, you know. <coughs> and, I, you know, I felt really... I actually felt more um, complete helping the families than I did just being the classroom teacher. And then eventually I wasn't a teacher anymore. I was actually just a support and not just, but I was a support person for that Mm. in in that role. Mm. Yeah. Which uh, to me just, it's just a natural progression to what you're doing now is going straight to the source, right, dealing directly with the parent, which will have a far bigger impact, and I love that. Now, because the divorce was such a big part of your story, and I know other, not just women, women and men who have been through divorce will be able to relate to a lot of this. So what challenges have you experienced with parenting and how have you overcome them and also with finding Mm. love again and then all of the challenges that I'm sure comes with that as well. Yeah, that's definitely been, that's definitely been a work in progress and it, and it, it never won't be. But what I, what I do seek solace in as well is that I've got plenty of friends who um, have, you know, are parenting their, their children together. They're having the same, (laughs) no one escapes, no one escapes. Um, you know, issues or problems or things. It's it, um, so. I've, I kind of got off track with the question. Then, um, look, it, it's it's all had its ups and downs. But what I've discovered more about myself is, and again, it comes back to the control, is that when I let other people be involved and be doing what they feel they need to know because innately like I'm a person that hates being told what to do which is <laughs> ironic most, most of us are most of us are and, yeah. and and historically I don't respond really well to being told what to do and it can be anything about you know it can be anything uh I'd, I'd like to think I respond better now but it's made me realize that everyone you know my kids their dad my partner that his kids Everyone needs to find their own way. And, uh, you know, it takes me back to a a poem we used when our kids were born that we, um, uh, what's his name, Khalil Gibran, our children are not our children. We're we're here to guide them, but they are, they're the arrows that we shoot from the bow. And and we're not always, it's not always going to be a straight shot. It's going to be, sometimes it's going to be off, off target, but, it's not about being on target the whole time. That's not life. So, yeah, yeah. It. I, th- I think it's just for me has been just chilling out, letting people get on with what they feel is right for them, and giving up that driver's seat, you know, mm. and allowing them to interact in the ways that they need to. They okay. develop their relationships between the. And I, I worked that out many, many years ago. The, the relationship my kids have with their dad or with my mum and dad, none of my business. It's none of my business. I, 
people get so involved, I think, and to their detriment in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Create creates a divide between you and the other person and you and your children because it's a, yeah. just another, another form of control, right? It is, but you know, I, what I believe it comes back to again, it comes back to fear and feeling like I'll just say it from if it was my perspective that I'm I'm not enough. That what if you discover that I'm not perfect? What if you discover that I've got um, trauma from my past, or I've got anger from my past, or that I haven't always, you know, been a model citizen? You know, it all comes back to a point of fear, us trying to control relationships because we perceive that there's stuff about us that we don't want them to know. But the reality is people don't even notice that stuff. Like, <laughs> No, they're too busy, they're too consumed with their own stuff that's exactly the same, right? They're doing their own thing. So, so part of the work that I'm really, really passionate about is actually truly knowing who, who you are, valuing yourself and living by that, not about the external not about what everyone else thinks, not about what everyone else expects. What do I expect from me? What what do I know is the best the best version of myself? And again, it's not being perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. <laughs> no. Not at all. Not at all. No. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this too, but you've only have to take someone else through a process and then be going, you need to do this, this, and this, and then to have the realization that oh shit. I should be listening to this, right? It happens with monotonous regularity as someone who's a coach or, or a guide. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've got the perfect job for being mirrored back to what you need to work on. Like exactly. it's, and me too, my, my shit always comes up. And it normally comes up a day or two before and something will come in and I have a feeling or a thought or a reaction. I'm like, yeah, where did that come from? And then I, work, and then I realise, oh, okay, I need to work on that now. Before, yeah. before I, I'm face-to-face with the client, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it takes three or four or ten people mm. presenting with the same thing before you go, oh, yeah. man, I've been telling a lot of people this lately. Um, <laughs> maybe I should be paying more attention. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. I think that's probably uh, as an important message as we could share today is that you mentioned it earlier. We still go through our stuff. We still have our challenges. It's it's not about trying to be perfect. It is, no. to my mind, it's like just continuing to build more and more tools and skills, and the ability to navigate the, these moments the best way we can. Which just that just makes all the difference. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your parents before, and like having to have that tough conversation you also said to me there was a couple of sort of like big moments earlier in your life that you probably hadn't looked at it until just it coming to the service recently the impact it had for your parents right and and as we're both parents now and many of the people listening will be the same like when you're a parent and your child goes through something really difficult like all consuming so Two parts to this, like actually, it's probably four parts because there's two different incidents. But uh, I'll let you, I'll let you share it how you want to. Talking about those incidents, the impact for you, and then and then the later realization of of how that impacted your parents at a deeper level than you could have imagined. Mm. So the first one, I only, I'm not going to say I remembered recently. I've it's always been in my memory, but. Uh, was when I was maybe seven or eight years old and dad was a marathon runner and he would go on big training runs and um, he started introducing my sister who's uh, 18 months younger than me and, and, you know, we were always outdoorsy. We were always going to be fit, sporty kids, right? It's just how we were were brought up. But he took us on this big run and... um, Funnily, uh, at his 80th last year, my sister and I did a joint speech and we were reminiscing about some funny things and we joked about this scenario. We were talking and said, oh, and, and Dad Dad was really good at um, instilling strength and ambition and discipline and belief in ourselves that we could do anything, and he was. Um, there's no doubt about it. And we're girls and we really appreciate that 
that that we were given that that you don't need to rely on anyone else to be successful when it when you need to use your body to do you know for sport like you can push yourself so but, but then i was on this um uh retreat a few weeks ago and this came up again this exact scenario and suddenly i was back in that moment and i on this run i'd had an asthma attack i'd got all emotional I'd fallen over and scraped my knee. I had, you know, those scrapes with the gravels inside, inside the cut. And then I couldn't run sitting down. And my sister, who was younger than me, was um, leaned down next to me with her arm around me crying because she was upset. And Dad was kind of standing there going, I could see he didn't know what to do. But he's like, well, well, come on, we've we've got to keep going. Well, breathe, lean, lean over your knees and breathe and, you know, I'm sure, I feel like he pulled a paper bag out from somewhere, you know, the old fashioned when you're having asthma. But I, I can't remember that. But the main, the main part of it was now I can look at it, what it gave me. And, and I know that's where, that's probably the first time I was in a, in a place where it gave me the ability to know I can do anything because I did have to get up and keep running. I did have to push myself. But it also, it also recently showed me that from dad's perspective he's carried that as maybe i pushed her too much maybe he was he was carrying some feelings of guilt or um regret that he didn't sit down next to me put his arm around me and give me 20 minutes on the side of the road and i could see that that's where he was that he was still in that mode of you know she she it was okay for her to cry it was okay for her to be sad um, and then for my sister, who from that moment had taken on the role of, I need to make sure my sister's okay. I, I need to, I need to know she's all right because Dad can't do that right now. So that's my job. And then from that, I could see those patterns the whole way through, like how that's played out numerous times. You know, and and that's a great place to just pause and for everyone listening to just let that sink in like so often people are scared of what they might find if they start digging 99.9999% of the the stuff we having going on and the patterns are from moments like this which are in the bigger picture insignificant and yet you described the three different paths that you all took as a result of that moment your, your dad feeling maybe guilty later, your sister then adopting that role, you adopting a role, which then plays out for the next however many years until it comes to the surface again. And 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 to be able to talk about it and then move past it is just so powerful. It changes your whole life, right? Yeah, and I've talked to them both about it since I found this out. We've we've got good communication and good relationships and um and it brought up another one, so I jumped to the next event, which was like 27 years later or something. I was 27. And um, earlier that year I'd been in a horrific car accident with a girlfriend, um, terrible car accident. We'd been driving it. She was driving, I was in the passenger seat, but we'd been driving at speed and she was overtaking and we were, another car came into us. Anyway, we rolled, uh, I don't know, it was 12, 14 times over and over, end on end on end. Wow. The car was completely written off. Um, and at the point of him, I remember, I still remember the rolling as we went off the road and I was just like, holy shit, we're about to roll off the road. This isn't happening. And then just being knocked out. Um, I came out of it really reasonably unscathed. Um, but I do remember being in the emergency and somehow they'd got, oh, this is way before... You know, mobile phones, you actually had to track people down and um, they tracked down mum and dad and they came into the emergency at the um, at A&E and I remember hearing mum's voice. She came in and someone pointed to me lying on a gurney. She said, that's not my daughter. So she didn't recognise me because of the whatever. Oh, wow. Anyway, um, six months after, and I clearly recovered from that, but six months later we were in a, on a family trip in Tassie and we were doing hiking and stuff, and I was still having pain in my knee because my car accident injury was my knee. Um, but we were doing all these walks and persisting with it, and um, my younger brother was walking. He was always helping me around and giving me a stick and pulling me up on boulders and stuff because I was in pain the whole time. 
And then on one of the days we did this whitewater rafting trip and uh, we were, the four of us, my siblings and I were in the raft with some other people anyway. The raft went over some falls and we, we I don't know what the term is, but we went up on a rock and always, I've always tried to make sure everyone else is okay, but in that instant realised I didn't have anything to hold on to. And so everyone clambered up on the rock and I was the last one, no paddle, no nothing. So I was in the rapids, taking, getting taken down the rapids. Wow. And, outside, um, outside of the boat. Outside of the boat. And it was, oh. it was grade whatever rapids. They were pretty full on. And I did recall, immediately remembered what they'd said. If you get taken down the rapids, you need to be in this position. I was doing that. But I got taken down one fall and whirlpool. I was taken down to the bottom of the, in, in the river and I couldn't get back up. Shit. And. Like, I'm a really strong swimmer and I'm underwater going, uh uh, no, nah, this is not happening. There is no way I'm drowning. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my time and I'm not going like this. Um, and then I, I got spat back up and slammed into rocks and I've, you know, still n- nursing some injuries from the car accident anyway. Um, eventually, I, I had a line throw to me and I was pulled in and, um, Straight away, who's on the side of the bank? My sister. In hysterics, so concerned about my well-being. I knew I was okay because I was out of the water. Yeah. She didn't. Um, And then I had a hissy fit and said, well, I'm not paddling anymore. In fact, I'm not getting back in the boat. (laughs) But anyway, we made our way back down and then said, Dad recalled this just on the weekend. He said, Oh, your mother and I said, I'll never forget it. We're standing on that bridge watching for all the excited, happy faces to come down in the rafts. And there was this miserable person sitting on the floor in one of them like this. And he actually got emotional because he realised that I actually did have a pretty shit time. And it had brought back all the trauma from the other things where I've always been strong and capable. Um, Anyway, that was that. So that was the second sort of massive mm. thing in that year and and we did find out in the end that my leg still had a fracture in it which was why it was so and it hadn't been discovered so I've been doing all of that without and I've got pins in it now but at the time I was pushing myself as I always did just kept mm. going back to that so, uh little girl that had, had gravel and yeah. it was getting pushed along yeah fascinating yeah, yeah. no keep going Oh no! So so it was like, so it was just that scenario playing again, right? That that rafting thing, twenty seven years after the first one, hmm. um, where Dad was feeling guilty. He, he had encouraged me to go. He but he wanted me to, you know, you're not gonna. He didn't want to do the poor me thing. Oh, you know, poor you. That that wouldn't have helped me. So he was still being strong and stoic, and you know. And then my sister, who just absolutely gone to pieces, she she couldn't even speak. She was always so upset that I'd experienced that. Um, I think we've moved past all of that now, but yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's part of the moving past is actually having conversations about these things. So that's uh, oh yeah, yeah, amazing. So uh, knowing what you know now, which is these different moments like that in our life are usually showing us something that we're missing. Like, have you made sense of that? Like, two significant accidents within a short period of time. Was there something at the time that in your life that you weren't realizing, and and this was life trying to get your attention? The first one, there was a bit of irony in the accident. Um, my friend who was driving was at uni studying to be um, an architect, interior designer. And her arm had got caught in the steering wheel and so she had compound fracture and her whole, her arm was messed. She was right-handed. And then, and I was at uni um, studying primary teaching but majoring in uh, in physical education. And then my, my knee was totally damaged. So I was, so we both had to quickly really change course of what our focus was on as far as our chosen path at the time. Um, so I do believe I do believe that happened for a reason. Um, maybe I wouldn't have ended up working with, you know, trauma children with behaviour and their families and stuff if I'd 
because let's face it, a, a PE teaching job is fairly cushy. Like it would have been. Um, I mean, it is. <laughs> that's why. That's why I studied at uni because I was like, that's, "This is going to be so cushy." <laughs> yeah, and I and so many people I knew at the time ended up in eastern states. You know, probably private schools, whatever. But they've been there for their they've been there for their whole lives. You know, and they're just easy. But it wasn't meant for me, so that that changed my my attention and and where I was going mm. the rafting one I'm not sure I just have never been rafting again since I'm just not going to do it I've, I definitely don't need to seek um yeah I, I'm not a adventurer like that anymore that that really stopped me from having to do dangerous things to mm-hmm. have fun yeah it's not a horse you need to get back on no, and I won't. I, I won't. I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like me and heights and like uh, parachuting. I have no intention or need no. to be jumping out of a aer- perfectly no. good aeroplane. <laughs> same, same, same. Um, now you mentioned before you did you say one or both of your children were born in the UK? Oh, one. One. Yeah, a yeah, lot so, yeah. So what took you to the UK originally? Um, well, I'd, I'd finished my teaching because with all the mess with accidents and stuff, my teaching degree took a little bit longer to complete. And um, I was born in England, actually, myself. So I'd already had a stint back there when I had left school working as a nanny and stuff. So... I um, had come back here. I'd finished my degree, and I just, I just thought, well, I don't know. I don't even know why. Maybe I think I saw an ad in the paper actually um, for teach a teaching agency who were looking for qualified teachers in London. So I packed up and went. I just within six months, I'd, um, I, in fact, I, I had a job interview before I left with the head teacher, and he said, "We want you, so get over here." So then I was I was there for eight years, and um, loved it. Loved working, teaching over there. That's cool. Mm. Really good experience. Yeah, and I think back to my experience traveling. That there was part of me because I wanted to go and see sporting events like around different parts of the world, and I did. But what I've realised on reflection is, part of me was like running away from responsibility and the next part of my life, which like I had no idea what that looked like. And travel is amazing because it allows you to learn some different things, but it certainly doesn't solve that problem, right? Like you try and run away from it. So was an element of that for you? Like were you? Were you... There, there possibly was. A lot of my friends were settling down, settling down. They yeah. were, um, and it, it felt like there was an expectation around it. I was 28 at the time and there was definitely an expectation that, and I think at that time as well, I was really like, well, what what is this? You know, I'd had relationships, but what is this love thing? What? How do you know when it's someone that you're supposed to settle down with and have children with? And I was really like really not convinced that I had experienced that. Um, and, yeah, so there was an element that, of me that didn't want to have to have any sort of commitment to that yet. No. <laughs> and the and the irony of that—that's exactly where you found a partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He so he was working at the school. Yeah. I mean, no, it took a couple of years for that to happen. But yeah, he was working at that school um, that I first got employed at, and then uh, yeah, and then we we bought a house, not in London, in Essex. We bought a house, and then I was working in a village school, and then you know. Then I was, you know, I had Eliza. It was happened quite quickly. Mm. Mm. Was that the motivation to come home then, like having having a child, or was it just an? Eliza? Yeah, yeah, I think it was because we we were. I mean, we had a we had a lovely house, but we were going to have to upgrade like bedrooms mm. and stuff. And we were looking around and then looking at the areas that we could afford to live in and stuff, and just thought, oh, this is this is just not not how we want our kids to grow up. So. Um, it seemed logical to come back here. And I, I was pregnant again when we got back here. So, yeah, did some travel on the way and packed everything up in a container and, yeah, 
relocated. It was all very exciting though. It was it felt it felt right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So if you've been on this incredible journey, big setbacks, but also equally big realizations and and changes and coming out the other side and now passionately helping other women to help them guide through the the challenges from your own experience. What's one thing that you could share with anyone listening that maybe is at that point where they're like, I know I need to be able to let go. I know I need to have, I am, I am tired, overworked, overwhelmed. What, what's, what's one place they can start to get them back on the track and get them in a place where they can move forward to some other way of living? What, what I do know for certain is that the answers are never on the outside. The answers are always within us. And searching for something out there is always going to be a fruitless search because we, we get, we feel good for short periods of time, don't we? You know, we, yeah. and I did this for years and years and years and years. And I think the only, well, not the only, but when I came to realize that the love I'm searching for is innately what I have for myself first is what freed me to be, to have the full expression of, um, relationships with other people. And the first start for that would be meditation. To, Ooh, to, yeah. to to start to come to come back into the body, to stop the to stop the mind, which is which is obviously we need, but gets in the way. It definitely gets in the way. I know it does. So yeah. if, if we can just stop and, and learn to meditate in whatever way suits, as you know, there are so many ways to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> even if it's for five minutes, just for five minutes every morning and just have that sense of knowing that we are all we need, that everything we need to know is already here <coughs> and the love we're searching for starts with us. It doesn't start from getting it from another person. Yeah, well said. And, and it linked back to something that you mentioned earlier when um... – you were talking about learning like who you are and at that point where you'd been through a relationship, you know, like in, whether it's career or a relationship or as a parent, we identify as those things which takes us yep. away from really being able to identify who we are. <laughs> yep. So now that you've been over that process and I'm sure there'll be more things to continue to unfold for exactly who you are because that's that's the journey what have you worked what have you discovered about yourself more than likely it's always been there but that certainty that you now have around who you are well i remember um being i think maybe 13 and i had this thing for a while where i would just stand and look at myself in the mirror look stare at myself in the eyes and go who are you who are you? Who are you? And then I say, Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And now I know the the only thing I need to say is I I am Tanya. I am who I feel I am in here, and I don't need to be anything more than that. Uh, no. And then it's I, I think that's it. No, I recently answered that for my thirteen year old self a little while ago. I I didn't. I didn't need to do all the searching, but obviously I did to come to come back to it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we are just who we feel we are. <clears throat> yeah, it's all those external judgments and and yeah. pressure and voices that we allow ourselves to be influenced by, which take us away from that. But ultimately, yeah, it can be that simple, right? And the only way I found that was in meditation. Um, well, the first way. Because even when I say I'm Tanya, I'm not my name either. So, I mean, it goes a lot deeper than that, but that's who I identify as <clears throat> being. Yeah. I love that. And it's a challenge when people ask us to explain, oh, tell us a little bit about yourself. And we generally go, well, where do we go from there? And we talk about the different aspects of our lives. But 
the more we can as individuals tune into the and, and explain to people <clears throat> through our own stories about who we are and and how we feel about ourselves like yeah because we identify ourselves with with everything else it's me and you it's me and it's me and the dog it's me and my house mm. it's me and this it's always us with something else you know and we don't have to be an identity that's related to anything we just need to be that for us because in, in innately we're i mean we are all here you know, i love this but we are all one i do understand what that is now yeah. because we're all made up of the same stuff so if we can just be what we need to be for us we're already being that for everyone else that's my job as a healer like it i know i can't if i recognize it i have to fix it in me and then i'm doing it for everyone yes because we've all got that stuff and and if anyone can take anything from this conversation that's what you just described there is like you can see all of these external things going on in your world the biggest impact you can have is not by going and trying to change the world whether it's one of these big worldly issues at the moment it's like what was triggered within you what is what is it about you that you need to know more of because when you do that, that just ripples out and allows space for everyone else to do the same. So I love that share and thank you so much for highlighting that. No worries. <laughs> yeah. We'll drop the uh, your, your your links in the in the show notes, Tanya. But is there is there a, a specific place you would like people to go to find out more about you? I think that the um, I'm getting my LinkedIn up and running as well. But um, for now, definitely Facebook Messenger or Instagram, which are in the links. Um, and I'm working I'm working on a landing page, a, a website now as well. But, yeah, at the moment people are just connecting with me on Messenger mainly. And then awesome. I'll, I'll, when the new stuff happens, I'll be putting that up as well. So those links will be easy to find. Awesome. Yeah. Thank cool. you so much for sharing. Like I said, Thank always. <laughs> you're welcome always enjoy our chats uh it's funny we've had many of these conversations but i learned a fair bit today which i hadn't heard from you so to, to me that's one of the absolute gifts of being able to come on and share our story because people get something from it i get something from it you get something from it and everyone else listening does too so thank you for being that's so open and, and sharing your story no problem thank you you're welcome speak to you soon I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code and remember so that i can help even more people to heal please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform